We spent a lunch hour with the mayor of Beit Sahor, who talked um, movingly about how families that have resided in the Holy Land, the land of the Holy One, for centuries are now giving up their places because of how difficult things have been made by actions of the Israeli government. And so that's what it sounded like on July 1st when the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in Calgary, the Most Reverend Gregory Kerr Wilson, stood at the microphone of his church's assembly and explained why members should pass his resolution on justice and peace in Palestine and Israel. The Archbishop urged the church to take out one paragraph, though. It compared Israel's treatment of Palestinians with how white settler colonials in Canada treated the First Nations. And that section had raised the hackles of Jewish groups in Canada. And as you heard on Monday's show, an Alberta rabbi, Gila Kane, explained to the gathering exactly why the clause was, in her words, offensive. But the rest was passed unchanged, even though the Archbishop admits some of it probably could have been worded better, and they should have done more talking to Jewish groups ahead of time. But his convictions haven't changed about what the Church's priorities should be in the Israel-Palestine conflict. And it all stems from what he personally saw and heard during his only fact-finding trip to Israel and the territories nearly 20 years ago in 2004. I think it is an issue that we, we cannot turn away from. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is What Jewish Canada Sounds Like for Tuesday, July the 18th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Archbishop Gregory Kerr-Wilson has been an Anglican priest for over 30 years. He started out in Toronto at St. Paul's on Bloor, with stops in Brampton, Edmonton, Quapel, and now Calgary. A few years ago, when the church's million followers in Canada were about to elect a new leader, he was one of the top five contenders for the post, although he didn't win. Fast forward to this year's General Assembly meeting. As you heard yesterday in our interview with Rabbi Gila Kane, Jewish leaders were pleased that the Anglicans voted to take out a prayer from their official hymn book, which called for converting Jews, and to replace it with one calling for reconciliation. While Archbishop Kerr-Wilson didn't directly stick-handle that motion, he joins me now to share the background to it and to his own motion on Israel-Palestine. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Thank you. Good to be here with you. So we're right in the, about a week after the city was seized by other matters besides horses, and that, of course, was the synod of your church in Canada. And uh, I guess you guys were the hosts, the, the host city. Yes, we were. So I want to just go to the quickly talk about the leftover prayer that was still kind of in there uh, regarding conversion of Jews and feeling sorry that we didn't accept Jesus as our savior. Can you just briefly talk about why that was still in there? And, and was it even being used at all? Uh, what I would say is that, um, first of all, it was in our what was called our Book of Common Prayer, which is the official prayer book of the Anglican Church of Canada. Um, many, many churches don't have a lot of access to, or no, they don't use it a lot because there's also a newer book, an alternative book. So a lot of places uh, haven't uh, don't use it on all that regular basis. But even in many places where it is, um, that particular prayer... It, I don't, I, in fact, I don't remember ever being in a service where it was read <laughs> in my whole life, not, not even once. 
And there was two prayers, actually. Um, one was officially removed years ago, um, and somehow the second one uh, just under the radar or something nobody noticed it and so suddenly somebody came along and said well wait a second we still have this prayer in our prayer book and it needs to be fixed Um, in fact it was our prayer book society i believe who are the traditionalists who like to keep the prayer book as much as possible and they were the one or they were at least part of the effort that came along and said this needs to be changed and and just to say that our prayer book because it is the official one it takes a lot more time to change it. Um, so you have to, you know, make, you know, prepare everybody, make the motion, it has to be passed. And then three years later, it has to come back to another synod to be passed a second time in order for it. So um, they had done that with the previous prayer. With this one, we did 2019 as the first go. And then this was the final one to have it removed. So yeah, but the point, the point about that is even if it was rarely used, as you're saying, it still caused friction and hurt to Jewish people. And I know I'd love to, I'd like you to speak a little bit about what you hope and what the church hopes getting rid of it and replacing it with something better will do towards the relationship. Well, I mean, clearly, clearly there's a deep, um, deep desire on the part of Anglicans to be, to be in right relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters. And um, to, you know, to recognize that we have an inheritance, <laughs> an inheritance, I don't even want to call it that. We have a history, we'll call it a history, um, where that has not been good, where there has been anti-Semitism in the past, where there's been all sorts of things that have been done and said. And um, I think this is part of an ongoing trajectory of saying that all has to be fixed and we have to go back and we have to change things, we have to put things right, we have to reestablish better relationships. Have you personally ever been to Israel? I have, I have, yes. And I wish I could go back because it was only nine days and nine days is short. (laughs) When was that? 2004. I was the dean of a cathedral in Edmonton at the time and we had a conference and normally it was in North America, but everybody went to to Israel for uh, for that one, and so we stayed at St. George's College in Jerusalem, and uh, and then toured around and saw. Well, of course, it was a little bit stereotypically. We went to Bethlehem and Nazareth, and <laughs> and then of lots of time, of course, in Jerusalem as well at the the site of the um, the temple site, the museum that was there it was very profound. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I have to say, it was a profound and touching as somebody who has um, been reading the Hebrew scriptures for so long, um, all my life, and has been um, praying the Psalms all my life to to come across something, uh, you know, the, the phrases that I'm so used to saying, you know, I lift up my eyes to the hill from where does my help come, and, you know, and as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so does the Lord surround his people, you know, I, um, it's one thing to say it when you're sitting in Canada, praying the prayer, uh, it's a different thing to stand on Mount of Olives and look down at Jerusalem uh, surrounded by the mountains and say, these psalms are just, I mean, the geography and the, and the, the prayers are just, it's, you know, sorry, a little moment here. Right? It's just beautiful. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, How did your journey to Israel help you understand what the objection was about Israel-Palestine, where, so now yes. can you understand that and why, how did you, how did you hear them when they said this, when Rabbi Cain said this, how did that understanding come to you? Yeah, I have to say, I was really moved by Rabbi Cain's Rabbi um, talk, I really was, and I, I speak for a living uh, in a lot of ways, but it's hard to put words on it because it was just so moving and how she, 
how she talked about it, it was just, um, you know, a, a deep and profound awareness again of, uh, of the connection of, of Jewish people um, with the land, um, whether they're living in Israel and identify as Israelis or not. So is that why it was a, not a deal breaker to pull that clause out about how it's not the same as indigenous reconciliation for Jewish people as it is that the Palestinians are not in the same equivalency? Um, I think for some people, it was, for many people it was. I think it was very, uh, people were very touched by uh, the rabbi's um, comments. Um, for myself, I, um, you know, the, the comment um, that was made that um, not every... Canada's, that's the lens in Canada, and that lens doesn't, isn't apply everywhere around the world. And, you know, good to be made aware of our own local bias, um, that, you know, this is what we've been through, and we've spent a lot of time in the Anglican Church of Canada on reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, so we can see how that concern would be, would be raised, but recognizing that it's a different story. For me, the, the, the more, the bigger thing the moving part was important, but the other, for me personally, the thing was to sort of have that rethink and say, yeah, actually that's problematic in all sorts of ways, historically and all sorts of ways. But there, the whole actual uh, resolution which you sponsored is raising some eyebrows and making up people upset about the fact that it was pushed through, even though there were some requests to kind of wait another couple of years and, and do more homework. Why did you you specifically push put this forward yourself? Um, well, the the urgency, and I'm not no, I I wouldn't be able to say necessarily that I felt a real profound urgency, except that you know part of the trip to Israel was that it was we also connected with our Palestinian uh, brothers and sisters who are Christians, and we also had some experience of um, their daily life. <laughs> um, and, and talk to people that were living under those circumstances. And uh, what we became aware of, and I'm telling my personal experience now about for, for me, um, was that, and I, I want to put it this way, because I think it's really important to put it this way, and I, I kind of wish we had, had changed uh, in one of the other paragraphs farther down in the explanation, it said, you know, recognizing that Israeli discrimination, and I, I think it would have been greatly preferable to say, the government of Israel's <laughs> discrimination, because for me that's a that's a, a huge distinction that there's many Israelis who disagree with Israeli government policy, and um, and that is actually part of what has um, fueled how this all came about was also conversations with and I'm just trying to remember the name of the organization, B'Tselem. Is that I say that right? B'Tselem, um, the human rights um, group in Jerusalem, and. Um, recognizing that, you know, just like in Canada, <laughs> um, we criticize the government all the time because there are things that the government does, we, well, not only that we disagree with, but it does things that are just flat out wrong. And this is, I think, needs to be focused in that way. It's about current government of Israel policy <laughs> in relation to West Bank and, um, and to some of the situation for Palestinians. Um, as you'll, you'll, you'll note that, of course, we went, uh, there was great care taken to, be, to make sure that we were also stating that we recognized, you know, Israel's legitimate rights for security and, and that sort of thing. But there's a place where certainly what I saw in 2004 and what others have seen since is that there are places where current government of Israel policy, it's it, it, pretty hard to call it about security. Uh, it's... it's um, it, it's, it starts to, to cross some boundaries. And I, and I think the reason for the urgency for many was 
well, it's been going on, it's been going on, it's been going on. Something needs to be said and we need to, you know, and of course, the action plan is to encourage the government of Canada to do, to to sort of take take that on, um, which they are. They're they're re, they're going to be doing hearings at the Foreign Affairs Committee, and they just gave a hundred million dollars to UNRWA. So right, yeah. So so the urgency in that sense was really about the fact that this has continued to go on, and the longer that it goes on, the more and more folks in the West Bank um, and in East Jerusalem whose lives are seriously negatively affected and in many ways. Now, you know, point was made by some of our folks that, you know, we should have had more conversation in the lead up. And I would I would concur with that. We probably we most certainly should have done done that. But when was sort of weighed as well, we didn't do a good job on that. Do we just simply put it on hold and then go back and do that? Or do we do this and then continue with the conversation. And, and that's kind of where it fell out for people was to say, well, you know, we need to do that. And because it, there are, you know, the issues for people in, in the West Bank and in um, East Jerusalem, they're, they're now, they're now. And so, yeah. When it was passed, I guess some people might have kind of looked at it and said, well, they're nice to, about praying for the Jews, but then they have this resolution about the Jewish homeland, which is much more strong against the government and doesn't give any mention about the Palestinian terrorism and what their responsibility is. People are like, well, how would you, how do we figure this? What is going on on the one hand, but on the other hand? So help me here, explain this to our listeners. Well, okay. And, and, and I would, I would say at least the way that I thought about it was, um, Frankly, um, I've not heard anybody attempt to justify Palestinian terrorism at all. Um, and and I, you know, I was just reading it last night again, and and I thought, yeah, I can see the the comment about you know saying that sadly compounded by grave divisions and inadequacies of the Palestinian authorities, including reprisals against opposition leaders, etc., a lack of legal and democratic accountability. Um, th- that in itself is also uh, could have been strengthened by simply outright making a condemnation. And, and um, but again, I'd, there's not anybody that I've bumped into in our church that would say, "Oh no, no, that you know the terrorist attacks are justified or that they ought to continue." I mean, it, it, and it maybe and that could have been. Yeah, it's quite possible we should have included something about that. Um, uh, what what dangers are you seeing now for Christians in in Israel? In the West Bank. Well, I think the thing that we're seeing that's worrying is, is the ongoing, I mean, loss of um, place to live for, for for families that have been there for centuries and centuries and centuries. And um, again, uh, my my direct experience is 2004, so I apologize. I haven't been back since 2004. It's 19 years. But you know, when we were there, we had um, conversations with uh, Palestinian folk, who again were were not anti-Jewish in any way, but what they would say is, our family has been here, families have been here for all these centuries, and now life has been made so miserable for our young people that they they leave because they can't see a future. They, they see no future for themselves, um, and those who can't leave um, often become radicalized because they have no way out, and they see no future, they see no hope. Um, and that again leads to you know it's a it's it's a vicious cycle that uh, of response and 
Um, I think, you know, I'm, well, I know that many of our, um, well, I was going to say Anglicans, Anglicans and Lutherans, it was a joint uh, thing. Uh, many of the Christian, Palestinian Christians are very keen to be working at how do we build peace? How do we, how do we bring this into, you know, bring some sense of um, coexistence that is, that is more than just being in the same place, but it is, you know, has justice about it and, and, and real peace. But when people in their feeling in their lives that they're being, you know, crushed, <laughs> then that, that um, and, and in some ways they are. I mean, we, we hear the stories of people being evicted from their homes and um, land being taken and in the West Bank, and that just keeps exacerbating the, the situation. And I would say basic fundamental human rights of some Palestinians, many of Palestinians, are being frankly violated by this particular government's approach. And I think some of us would say that um, it looks pretty obvious that, again, this current government's policy is to try to get rid of as many as Palestinians as possible, um, you know, full stop. And you know, get rid of them one way or the other, make them move out, um, whatever it is. Well, it doesn't help when some of the ministers in the current government say things actually like that in public, in Paris and whatever, which we know, we've talked about and reported. So, I mean, there'll be a lot of Jewish people who agree with you from Canada who are progressive and left-wing. Uh, finally, um, I want to just double down on one thing. It's about clause where they talk about Christian Zionism. I understood that you want to remove Christian Zionism and the influence of Christian Zionism from the Anglican Church. And what is Christian Zionism and, and why would that be not welcome in your church? Yeah, the definition that was given in, in the thing was to say that specifically we're talking about, well, not only people who, um, I mean, part of it says those who encourage the return of, of Jews to Israel. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I thought that was a little um, odd way to frame it up because obviously if Jewish people want to move to Israel, why, why, why not? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's the homeland, right? And, and, uh, and that connection that we've talked about earlier. Um, but I think this particular piece that, to do with Christian Zionism um, really is connected to a kind of religious view that connects to, um, you know, apocalyptic um, imagery that, um, you know, once Israel is fully established and I think sometimes when I've had conversations with people, what they mean by that is that they're, you know, the Palestinian presence is removed. I've actually had fellow Christians say that to me. Um, you know, once the Palestinian element is removed and, and Muslims are gotten out of the holy city and then the temple is rebuilt, <laughs> then Jesus will come back. And I have to say that although I have heard that, um, it's very, in my experience, very rare in our churches. But to the extent that there are some that still hold those kinds of views, I think what the word that we used to do was to decrease its impact, its presence and impact, and to um, commitment to challenge it as a viewpoint. So the idea is to sort of say, well, you know, that's that's not where we stand as as a church. We don't we don't have a belief that somehow reinstating this is uh, going to bring the second coming of Jesus. It's it's not and and that it's not helpful because it doesn't actually help. In my view, it doesn't help the state of Israel either establish a kind of peace and justice that needs to be and that many Israelis are looking for um, to have um, Christians fomenting. <laughs> that kind of attitude in the background. So, yeah. So now I understand it. Because, you know, Israel likes Christian Zionists, and they're the biggest tourists too, right? Yes, they, I, I get that. And, and, and I have to say, it would be ni nice, it would be good for more, for lack of a better word, 
mainline Christians to go and make a visit and say, actually, you know, this isn't about Christian Zionism uh, in that sense. This is about the, the modern state of Israel. Um, and, and I, you know, I would always want to encourage people to look at some of the beautiful passages out of the Hebrew Scriptures that talk about um, Jerusalem, the place where all the nations come because they, they come to, you know, worship the Lord. <laughs> um, it's not an exclusive kind of a, of, a, of a thing. It's a vision that says that through Abraham, through Abraham's descendants, will all the nations of the world be blessed. Um, and that's a different thing than saying we must crush everybody else who's not in, <laughs> who doesn't belong there by our, by our lights, you know. Well, this has been very, very helpful. You've explained it well to me, I think. Is there anything you want our listeners to understand that, that uh, I didn't ask? No, you're very thorough. Um, yeah, no, and uh, maybe I'll just reiterate again that um, this motion was really about um, a very particular concern about the current government of Israel's policies related to Palestinians. And I, and I, would, I think I could confidently say that for our, our folks, um, we would see it as being a statement of support for, for Jews and for Israelis broadly um, in the sense that it's calling for true peace and justice um, to, for, for, uh, in, in, in Israel. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Hernan Popper of Winnipeg. He'll be remembering the 29th anniversary today, July 18th, of the bombing of the Jewish Community Headquarters building in his native Buenos Aires, Argentina, in 1984. Eighty-five people were killed. Three hundred more were hurt. The attack had been blamed on Iran, but no one's been brought to justice yet in all these years. In Winnipeg tonight, the Jewish community will hold its annual memorial for the AMIA bombings. It'll be at the Asper JCC starting at 6.30 p.m. And you can hear my interview with Hernan Popper on the CJN Daily. We did it a couple of years ago and put a link to that episode in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. Thank you.